0: Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vicini. We're presented by the Athletic. Today on the show, the Legend, John Hollinger, is in the building. John, how you doing, man?
1: I'm I'm doing great. You gotta be careful introducing me that way because people who aren't paying attention are gonna think you have John Legend on the show, and then when they find out it's only me, they're gonna be horribly disappointed. <laughs> What
0: if we find out that John Legend's middle name is actually Hollinger? Then we're just like (laughs) fucked. Like totally. That would be a development for sure. (laughs) So what we're doing today is I've been pretty transparent with the listeners that I have been on vacation uh up until this past Monday. And I've mostly been focusing on evaluating college kids while not watching as much basketball as I typically do. I've watched something like so only
1: like four games a day.
0: Uh, you know, I was on vacation for like two and a half weeks and I was probably watching two games a day. Oh, okay. Uh, maybe, right. a, maybe like a game a day or in some cases, like during the holidays, like zero games per day. Cause I was spending time with my family. So sure. I would say I've watched something like 15 NBA games this year so far. So like not nearly enough to like have anything resembling expertise in what's happening league wide right now. Mostly the only team that I feel confident talking about is the Warriors because I've just been riding the wave of betting Warriors games because uh, they were way overvalued when Draymond Green was out and then they got way undervalued when Dre came back in. So it was a very, very good way to... Uh, to pad the wallet, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I feel good about talking about the Warriors, but that's really the only team that I feel like I have any expertise in. So I'm having John on today to get me up to speed in terms of what's happening because I know the general storylines, but I feel like I'm missing some context. So the first okay. question I just have for you, John, is that there's been a lot of discussion about why there are so many blowouts in the NBA so mm-hmm. far what's happening here like I kind of feel like it's just because guys are working their way back into shape and teams are quitting on games
1: earlier like does that does that hold up for you there's there so the the numbers say that there's a let go of the rope phenomenon happening this year that has not happened in past years which is that teams get down by maybe I don't know 15. 20 and then usually there's the so-called rubber band effect which is that if a team has a has a lead of that size the game actually tends to get a little closer mm-hmm. um and usually it's it's what you might call a dead cat bounce right like it doesn't mean anything it's just that you know the guys were playing to the score and kind of the winning team takes a couple possessions off the losing team tries a little harder and I think what may be happening is that uh because there is no crowd at these games, there isn't quite that factor of I'm getting embarrassed in front of 20,000 people. Um, I like, I'd be interested, uh, in studying further the, the psychology of all this, but I do wonder if there's some of that because there's been a lot of avalanche games where a team gets down 20 and then the big run happens. (laughs) Right. Right. And then all of a sudden they're down 40, uh, yeah, Clippers in, Mavericks in, in, from in one the case, first week at halftime, yeah. right? Yeah. And so uh I, I there is some of that happening. The rubber band effect is becoming a uh it's, instead of the rubber band effect is becoming like the rubber the rubber Super bowl or whatever that like bounces out <laughs> instead of inward. Right. So, uh, that, that's probably the biggest thing we're seeing. I mean, there's definitely some, there's probably some randomness. There's probably something to do with the more we become three point dependent, the more variance there is in the scores. But I think the biggest thing is if, if you just look at what happens when the score is X, there actually is a rubber band effect when the lead is still, uh, within a margin where you have a plausible chance of catching the other team. But then once, once you get into the high teens and twenties, then it goes the other direction. So I guess that my question off of that then
0: becomes how difficult do you think it's going to be this year to determine the pretenders from the contenders, right? Like Orlando right now is five and two. Like I don't, Like, Orlando is going to be tough and competitive because Steve Clifford is just not going to allow them to be anything else. But trying to figure out if they're actually, like, a potential top six team in the East, which is kind of loaded, or if they're going to, like, kind of fall back down to Earth feels pretty tough. And uh, I know that a lot of Orlando has been, like, schedule-based so far, but yeah, I feel like it's going to be really difficult to determine the extent to which like each team is who they are. I feel like we're going to need a, an even larger sample size than we typically need to determine who is real and who is fake. And that Ben Falk's numbers over at cleaning the glass, uh, where he takes out garbage time, those are going to get a workout this year. It feels like. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There'll be teams with like 12 minutes, <laughs> right? The count.
0: Yeah. Uh-huh. Like it, it's, that- it's tough.
1: Yeah, so I think it makes uh, the job maybe a little harder. Like, how do you evaluate like, the Clippers and Mavs, for instance, who, ironically, if you throw out the game where the Mavs had the historic ass-beating of the Clippers, the Mavs have been completely one direction, and the Clippers have looked like the best team in the league other than that game. Yep. So uh, it, it does make the job more difficult. The other thing that makes the job, I think, a little more difficult is that we're probably going to have more covid absences in addition to injuries which are always a factor um and then the two game series against the same team uh when it's early in the season and you know you might have played 12 games but four of them were against Cleveland then you know what does that mean so i'm just using cleveland randomly they've they've been fine i'm not using them dismissively or anything just but against any Opponent, there, there's going to be that factor. Uh, You know, Miami has played six games, but two of them are against Milwaukee, right? So, how do you evaluate how they look? So that makes it harder too. Uh, You know, I just wonder if, like, if the, especially if the the crazy blowouts settle down, I think it might get kind of back to normal pretty quickly, but. If we keep having like these random interlopers where the margin is plus or minus 50, that, then the job gets more difficult for sure because we're used to looking at a team scoring margin and just kind of knowing like, okay, they're a little fluky. Okay. They're, they're probably more for real. And that guidepost is maybe a little bit less helpful this time around.
0: So let's maybe move into, like, the conferences, right? It feels like, to me, the East looks pretty loaded. Like, Brooklyn right now is sitting at three and four, and, like, one of the games I watched was Brooklyn on Christmas Day, and they looked fucking incredible, right? Like, I, I watched their opener. They looked amazing, and when they've been healthy, and with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving— they look like a real contender. I think the Sixers, because uh, I watched their game from last night against Charlotte, they look really good. I think that they're probably a real contender in the East. It feels like the East is even deeper at the top this year than what we've seen. And then on top of it, there's a better middle class as well because Atlanta has gotten better. Chicago has competent coaching. Uh, Washington at least has like Russell Westbrook, who's going to raise your floor. Do we feel like that is correct? Do we feel like the East is kind of catching up a little bit to the
1: West right now? So it is an encouraging start for the East because they're not getting their asses kicked by the West <laughs> when they play head-to-head, right? Sure. Which is which is the thing that we've always seen the last couple years. Um, you know, I, I think Philly has looked really good. I think Milwaukee looks like Milwaukee. Uh, Indiana has actually looked pretty Low key, pretty strong. Yeah. I think there are a couple of insurgents in the East. When you look at Atlanta, is definitely better. Orlando looks a little feisty so far. Cleveland maybe might be able to do something here. Um, even the Knicks. I mean, you 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 know you know the Knicks will shoot themselves in the foot somehow, some way. But I mean, they, they, these first seven games they've been pretty solid. At the same time, uh, Toronto looks like complete shit. Uh, Boston does not look particularly good. Uh, Brooklyn, as good as they look their first two games, then turned around and lost to Charlotte and Washington in games <laughs> that Kyrie and KD played. So, uh, I, is, is the top really stronger than it has been? I'm not, I'm not totally sure. I will say, like, It does appear that the eighth playoff team in the East will be an actual legitimate playoff team, (laughs) which, (laughs) which we haven't always seen. Right. And, and so they do have that going for them. Uh, It's definitely stronger. And I I think there are a few teams in the West that are maybe not off to great starts in comparison. Uh, You know, we'll see how this shakes out when we get, you know, maybe five, 10 more games under our belt, but really in the West, like The Lakers still look like the Lakers. The Clippers, but for one awful day, look like the Clippers. A lot of these other teams are scuffling along. So I'm interested to see how, how this looks as we go deeper. It may, it may be a rare year where the East ends up being stronger than the West. So let's
0: focus on on a few teams that you mentioned in the East. So I have not watched Milwaukee save for like a little bit of the Christmas Day game. Where do we think Milwaukee is in terms of gelling uh, with Drew Holiday's addition uh, and in terms of their adjusted depth thus
1: far? Yeah, uh, so I do think the depth is still going to be an issue for them all season. Uh Defensively, they haven't been as good as they were a year ago. And I haven't watched them enough to know if they're trying different things or if that's just people have figured out how to attack their drop coverage better. Like when I watched them against Chicago... It was just Brook Lopez playing his drop coverage and Kobe White just had no answer against it at all. When he, you know, he tried to turn the corner and just would either throw up slop that was contested by Brook or get a shot block from behind or not really have anything open. It was like it was a mess. It was perfect. You know, it was a perfect execution to their defense. But you also want to see them do other things besides that because they need other things in their bag for the playoffs. Uh The thing you're excited about for Milwaukee, their starting five is Good. Like, uh, Dante DiVincenzo is a good player. Like that, that, I thought the biggest problem with that Bogdanovich trade they wanted to make was that they were giving up DiVincenzo, who projected in my numbers, at least to be a better player and was making a, a fraction of the money and is younger. And so far that's borne out in, in reality this year. And so I think that starting five is really good. They've actually gotten some okay minutes from Bobby Portis, although him and the drop coverage, like he's just toast. Like they don't feel him at all. Um, you know, Forbes, Connaughton, Augustine, like that's okay. Like it gets it gets you by if you also have Giannis, Middleton and Holiday on your team, but it, it's certainly not a strength. But again, you get to the playoffs, they're going to be counting on those five main guys and hopefully, you know, they'll play in more than 30 minutes a game this year
0: yeah i mean that's always going to be the question is how does budenholzer adjust and how does he uh dole out the minutes in the playoffs right like he he needs to actually just get past that at some point and be willing to play guys yeah. 40 minutes a night uh yeah actually i sneaky think that they're okay depth wise like at least in terms of what it says on paper uh they could use another defensive option i think like I'm still trying to figure out why Tory Craig has only played two games. And again, like having not really watched them,
1: that is difficult for me. That's Uh, yeah. That, that, that one's a little weird. I thought they would have him more in the mix right from the get go, just to have that, option in their bag. I mean, they, they love having all those three point shooters out there. He's a tough guy to play with Giannis, but I thought he'd be playing the non Giannis minutes as a defensive stopper.
0: Yeah. And I think that you can like pair him at the hip with Bryn Forbes and DJ Augustine. Right. And he, he can provide the defense that those two really don't. And I actually kind of sneaky, really like Bryn Forbes. I think he's a good NBA player, uh, who's a perfect fit in this scheme. So I, I think Milwaukee's going to be okay depth wise, but I'm excited to dig more into them going forward. The one of the other teams, like I watched the Knicks last night. They looked surprisingly competent. Uh, I've watched like one other Knicks game too, and felt like they looked surprisingly competent. Uh, it's crazy that like just bringing in Tom Thibodeau basically has resulted in this enormous leap of no longer looking comically inept, right? Like, yeah, yeah, sure. Reggie Bullock wore the wrong number, and it probably wasn't even Reggie's fault. It was probably the equipment guys and that was laughable and of course it was laughable, but like they look really feisty, I guess in a way that most Thibodeau teams do. And that's very interesting. And like RJ Barrett looks good. Like he looks really, really good. And I never left RJ Barrett Island, I will say. So I I like that sign, but the Knicks look good. And I'm, I want to give the Knicks, Props in case this changes by midseason. Like, tell them yeah, Tiptoes done a great so job. I,
1: I would come at this with more tempered enthusiasm. I guess, um, and that's where I'm at. They, too. Like, let me be clear. So, yeah, when when I watched them, uh, the Indiana game uh, was that was that who they played. Um, like their defensive pressure in the fourth quarter was was really impressive in the way that they wouldn't let them. Get into anything and run stuff, and 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 so that was like okay, this is this is something different. I'm not watching the Knicks here. Um, at the same time, uh, opponents are shooting 29.5 percent from three against them, which is just the three point guard gods waving their magic wand, and that's not going to hold up. Uh, so so we're going to see some of these results shift when that happens. I would say Barrett has been okay, like he's still basically a bad shooter um and he's he's doing more stuff in the flow of the game and it's still kind of hard for him because there's not a ton of shooting around him uh but they're playing a lot more through Julius Randle and Randle has been a lot more uh capable as a distributor uh even though his turnover rate's kind of through the roof uh and so so I think that's helped them offensively given them a little bit uh more of an identity and then Uh, We're going to end up eating it on Emmanuel quickly because he's got point guard in him that I did not see at all at Kentucky.
0: You think so? I again, like I watched them last night. Like I'm intrigued. You know what I mean? And and he looked good last night, but I feel like it's going to be one of those situations where teams like kind of figure this out with him because he's not
1: athletic enough. I don't think. I so I was very worried about him as a, as a wing certainly if he could not play point guard uh because I I thought he was small and not that athletic and that his craftiness would only get him so far but I think as a if he can get the ball up the court and get you into the offense and now he's a 6'3" or whatever he is point guard who's uh has a genius for drawing bullshit fouls that is, is that is like true on kyle kyle <laughs> lowry level as a 21 year old rookie i mean that so that that's something to build on there and i i think he's at least uh make like i, I don't know if he's going to be like good with a capital g but there's there's something there right he's he's at least going to be like he's going to be better than kevin knox <laughs> Right, like he's yeah, gonna be, he's gonna be he's gonna be better than Nilaquina, right? Like he's he's got a chance to be something. And then uh, you know we haven't really seen Obi Toppin. He just played twenty four minutes in the first game. I thought he looked pretty decent in preseason. So we'll, we'll see what they get from him. Yeah, and you know what? Like quickly is kind of the perfect
0: player to match with RJ Barrett, like in theory, right? Uh, what they want RJ Barrett to be, and RJ Barrett, I think the idea is that he can be something of a half-court initiator who you can give the ball to, he can drive in a straight line, he can create his own shot off of a pull-up in the mid-range, and that you hope that that can extend out to three. Additionally, he's just a really underrated passer as well. I've always really liked his passing ability uh, mm-hmm. throughout the course of his career. So, if you compare him with Quickly, who has a really good you know slashing floater game, who moves really well off the ball, who can obviously shoot the ball from distance and uh, make positive decisions, hopefully hopefully while being six foot three with like a six foot ten wingspan the idea of their fit works really really well together so um, i'm excited to see that part of it i think for the knicks like this roster is a lot more cogently put together i
1: guess than what we've seen in the past a little more i mean they're still starting Randall Barrett, <laughs> Mitchell Robinson, and Alfred Payton at the same Fair time. Fair point. <laughs> I mean, let, let's not get carried away. But it, it, it makes it makes a bit more sense th- than it did.
0: Well, I, f- I feel like maybe this is where the Thibodeau of it comes in, because Thibodeau has at least put them in positions to where they're not, like... like Ab- actively looking terrible right and i realized that I-, I didn't watch the uh game last night as i'm looking through the numbers i'm looking through the uh I- i'm i'm realizing that it's the pacers game that i watched <laughs> Oh,
1: okay.
0: so sure. uh the synergy gods did not treat me well in that respect mm. um so the last team i want to ask you about is the team that's in your neck of the woods the atlanta hawks uh sure. the hawks started really really well and i yeah you know, have just not watched enough hawks games to really get enthused but what's going on in atlanta uh is it just that the addition of veterans who's really helped or is it that these uh younger guys are taking a leap like what's happening because I, I just don't know
1: uh, so basically, all those free agents they signed haven't done squat. Um, <laughs> Gallinari and Rondo have hardly played, and Bogdanovich has played, but he hasn't really done much on the court. Uh, and so, what's happened instead is that last year's team plus Capella uh, is has been significantly better than than last year's team. Now, part of that is just—I mean, it was one of the things I wrote in Atlanta's preview, like replacing. A normal center with Clint Capella doesn't really advance the ball that much. Replacing Damian Jones with Clint Capella, like that, that is massive. (laughs) Okay. Like that's worth several games over the course of a season. Uh, the other big development is, uh, DeAndre Hunter is one of the most improved, uh, second year players in the league. Uh, he's shooting the ball well. He's showing a lot more wiggle off the dribble, getting to the rim. Uh, hesitation moves with either hand like stuff he just didn't last year he was just like very robotic straight line same speed uh, type of player and he's mixing it up a lot more and it's working and so I would say that's been a big thing in their favor Kevin Herter has been better uh, there. So they're second in the NBA in offensive efficiency, and even with Trey Young last year, they were. Uh, I forget what they were. They were. It began with a two, <laughs> but it wasn't second. Uh, it was. Were they like twenty eighth or something? Twenty six. Oh, I have here. Yeah, bad. Really bad. And uh, now this year they're they're really good. So. Their, you know, their defense is whatever. But if you're going to score like they are, then you can make the playoffs with whatever defense.
0: Well, a lot of it last year too was more the minutes that Trey didn't play too. Like they were abjectly atrocious in the minutes that Trey was not on the court. Uh, when Trey was on the court with the young kids, like I feel like they were, and by the kids I mean like Collins Hunter, Reddish, they were actually yeah.
1: like pretty good offensively from what I remember. So. Yeah, and, then, and then they they were disaster bad defensively with the Trey lineups and disaster yep. bad offensively in the non-Trey lineups. And they have just enough now where that hasn't happened. I mean, the one thing about Bogdanovich being there, uh, and, and I mean, Herter's helped with this too, but... When Trey comes out, they play Bogdanovich and Herter, and they have kind of two ball handlers out there. Uh, You know, Rondo's been out, so Brandon Goodwin's played some of those minutes too. But there's enough shot creation out there where it's not just a a horrific mess and, you know, DeAndre Bembry going one on five and whatever uh, they had last year. I've had two separate people also text me, like, what is a
0: Nate Knight? in that he apparently looks pretty Nathan good. Nathan Knight in was the small mix. awesome
1: against the Grizzlies. He he was fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. To, to the point that, like, when he didn't play the next game, like, you know, fans are like messaging Chris Kirchner, like, what is going on? Fire everybody. They're not playing Nathan Knight. It's like, okay. Okay. <laughs> we, we need to Calm maybe down. back off a touch. Um, yeah
0: okay i think that's as far as i want to go in the east i'm gonna dive deeper into like the sixers and pacers and i, I think the celtics because uh, they're another team that i've watched uh once this season they they look uh they look less enthusiastic to me i'm less enthusiastic about them maybe let's say
1: uh i am i am too i think their their bench is a real problem Um yeah and with Kemba's knee is you know it's only exacerbating that they they hit on Peyton Pritchard like he's that that that's going to work out, uh, but they also I mean the early returns on Nesmith aren't great so it's kind of like okay well you you kind of need to hit on both of them because you signed a center instead of signing any backup perimeter players so so they're well- in a tight spot.
0: We're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server encrypting it in the process. This is gonna hide your location from your ISP hackers and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. Some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, For instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla minus one recently knows that it's basically only available in Japan and you need a VPN. If you want to go to like Amazon prime or something to be able to watch it. So, When I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN. I change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go, connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in, creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. NordVPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shop blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions. Just head to Nordvpn.com slash GameTheory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y to claim your account. Plus, with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to Nordvpn.com slash Game Theory to claim your account. Nordvpn.com slash game theory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough. Uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord. And it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash theory. we'll talk about the rookies at the end because i think that that's an interesting one i want to ask you about like some of the ones that have stood out but let's go to the west real quick uh i think that basically the last team i've seen a decent amount of that we'll talk about here is the suns the suns look very good like i think they're actually pretty
1: legitimate they look legitimately good yes yeah I, i i completely agree with you and you it's another one where it's not quite on the next level but you you're sort of wondering like how can Robert Sarver screw this up like <laughs> what's what's the move here uh, I thought they made a good save uh, to bring back Kaminsky uh, as another big when I saw Jalen Smith in preseason I, I didn't really think he was he was ready for that kind of role and that you know they're starting lineups good Bridges I think is an all defensive player this year Cameron Johnson's off to a really good start uh, so I I just think it's uh, it's just a good solid team now is that a top four team in the West at the end of the day probably not but they're, they're, I mean they are certainly a playoff team the way the way they've looked I, I think without any doubt yeah like just adding chris paul
0: really has added that extra level of basketball iq like it's not even that chris paul is dominating statistically right like he's averaging eight assists per game and he's been pretty efficient uh as a player overall he's not like making a ton of shots yet but he is just kind of added that little extra competence to the team. And that little extra competence, it feels like is permeating in a way where the players are all in the right positions constantly. Uh, And that's something that's a little bit different for this team.
1: Yeah, it's, it's helped them. And then I think a couple low key things in the backcourt getting Cameron Payne at the end of last year. And then Langston Galloway is a discount free agent. Uh, So it's made their bench units better because, they're playing well even though Devin Booker is kind of low key sucked. And yeah. That so you know he's going to start cooking at some point. And when that happens, right? Like watch out.
0: Well, and it feels like him and Chris Paul are still learning how to play in the like couple of games that I've watched of them. Like it feels like they're still kind of figuring out like okay how do we how do we share the ball do we like is it your turn my turn do we try and like you know play off of one another I I think they're still figuring that out the other thing that is happening is that DeAndre Ayton's like good defensively now like last year I thought that he took a leap defensively and was slightly above average I think he's now just like good defensively and that is a
1: real jump for them Yeah, totally. Totally. Especially because he's their only legit big, so he has to be good. So, the rest of the West, we've got the Clippers
0: who have kind of tread water, like in the couple of games where Kawhi was hurt and obviously had that disaster blowout against Dallas where he was out. Um, They look really good, I think. Like, I'm not, again, like, I've watched. A game of theirs, like they looked the same to me. Do we think that the addition of Serge Ibaka has changed anything for them?
1: Maybe. I mean, I think maybe it's made them more threatening offensively because the middles more open because of his shooting. Uh, they give something back defensively with that. I, I thought. I mean, I thought Zubac's actually pretty good. Or level now, so we'll see how that goes. Um, they still haven't had Marcus play I don't think he's played a game yet right and so they got Batum in that spot I thought that was a good pickup but he's going to be the ninth man for them in a, in a playoff game at the end of the day uh and Paul, Paul George is, is playing great so I I think they got a lot of things going for them if you're you know if you're the Clippers you're probably you probably want to get Luke Kennard going a little bit more than he has been especially with what they're paying him but I don't think you're too worried other than that one (laughs) with one glaring exception of a game. I think you're pretty pleased with how things are going.
0: The team that feels the most disappointing statistically to me is Portland because yeah, they're three and three, but they made a lot of moves this year to improve the defense. And just looking at the numbers, the defense looks like it's not improved. Uh,
1: What's going on with Portland right now? I think two things are happening. Uh, One, when you change your scheme and when you have all the same players, that can be really hard. And I think people underestimate how how difficult that can be sometimes early in the season. And so it's a real test for Portland to figure out what works and what doesn't work with this personnel – and the the other thing that that I do see is if you're talking about your commitment to being a defensive team, and you're playing Ennis Cantor and Carmelo Anthony 20 minutes at the same time, <laughs> like sorry, you're you're not committed to being a defensive team. you're not. the The thing with Melo is, is just getting a little nutty uh, you know he's playing more than Gary Trent and he's they're running all these post-ups for him to shoot twos it's like okay you know that was fine when the alternative was Anthony Tolliver but like now that you now that you have a real team that's trying to contend for something like <laughs> Carmelo's gotta be like your ninth man like I'm sorry like that's where he is in his career right now and they're still they're still acting like he's a star and and I think that's hurting them uh, and then the other factor is they need Nurkic to be Nurkic, man. And it just hasn't happened so far. Yeah, the the Gary Trent minutes
0: are interesting because he's playing like nine minutes a game less than Derek Jones Jr., which, like, look, I, I was screaming from the rooftops, like, sign Derek Jones to the mid-level. Like, I thought that that was a smart move for a team that needed athleticism, and I liked it for Portland to take that shot but like Gary Trent is a lot better than Derek Jones. Like, I'm sorry. What are we, what are we doing here? Like well, Gary me, can actually to me, defend it too.
1: It shouldn't even, it shouldn't even be an either or because I think their best option is to play Derek Jones as their backup five. Like I, I think that's how they should try to line up uh, rather than sending Ennis Cantor out there to get cooked every night. Uh, and, but they haven't seemed willing to try that.
0: Yeah. That's uh, that's very weird to me. They all, I've seen some like, Clamoring for Harry Giles minutes as well, which is also interesting. He had a, he had a good,
1: yeah, he had a good preseason. I, I don't like whatever ails them on defense. Harry Giles is not curing it. <laughs> I, no, I, can, I, I feel pretty, I feel pretty good about that.
0: Yeah, he was absolutely terrible for the Kings on defense every single time he stepped on the floor. uh Really good offensive player, like really skilled yeah. and a great passer, and can like really has a high level of IQ on that on that uh side of the floor but yeah defense yeah. is not going to be a thing for him. Uh the warriors were really fun for me to ride the wave of because as soon as they put in Michael Moler as a defensive stopper against Chris Middleton uh that's when I realized oh yeah this this is probably not going to work for them defensively while Draymond Green is out uh and then as soon as Dre came back, it was just like night and day. Like their defense is so much better. And I think that they're fine now. Like I think that they're probably going to make the playoffs with, uh, Stefan Dre along with, uh, Andrew Wiggins and Kelly Oubre and James Wiseman. Tell
1: me I'm wrong. Uh, I think they're going to need, uh, fortunate health to pull that off
0: so do we have any faith in Andrew Wiggins and Kelly Oubre or do we think that like Draymond Green is just going to continue screaming into the void uh at them like do we think that they're picking up any of what Dre is saying or do we think he is literally just screaming into the void because last night he was just like waving and screaming and yelling for them to run offense and they were just like standing there and then yeah, they eventually um, moved um, <laughs> um
1: I'm voting for the void <laughs> on Wiggins, I'm all in on the void. O- Uber, I could be convinced otherwise. Oh my
0: god, I just don't even know what to do <laughs> with them. Like there's so much talent there. Like why is why is it that these wings from Kansas can't figure it out? Like what's going on?
1: Yeah. Yeah, Kansas wing disease. We need to study that
0: yeah uh were you in memphis with josh selby although josh selby was six one but he played more like a wing
1: josh selby was uh, so i was uh only for about i was trying to think was he the first player we traded was he in that um was he in that spades trade he might have been i think he was um so yeah uh we very very briefly ships ships in the night i love it uh what other I was Western... not around for his, I was not around for his summer League MVP campaign so I, I missed all of that so you ruined Josh Selby's career just say it it's fine I <laughs> <laughs> this is this is all your fault <laughs> yeah it's, it's all blame me
0: <laughs> uh, the Denver nuggets are two and four what's happening with uh, Denver
1: Um... I think they played teams, uh, but haven't looked totally like themselves. Uh, I'm so used to them having a good bench that, that lifts them when they come in. That's been a little jarring to me to see their second unit struggle most nights. Uh, they're also getting lit on defense. And I, I don't know where to really pinpoint that well the thing that's like stood out to me
0: is i i just look at box scores with denver because again i will catch up on them at some point this week but i haven't yet and it seems like nikola Jokic is just like eviscerating everyone in the nba right now like he's absolutely just murdering whatever opposing defense is put in front of him and the fact that they're still two and four seems bad like it seems like the jamal murray bubble leap did not necessarily carry over to the regular season so far.
1: Yeah, his first couple games weren't great. He was really good against Minnesota the other night, um, and he's only played five games, so I don't know to read too much into it, but they just haven't, like, they just haven't gotten a lot for some of these second guys, like, you know, Will Barton, uh, showed some flashes in his first game back, but then hasn't really quite put it together. Uh, Gary Harris has just flat out sucked. Um, you know, they've been, they've had to go kind of deeper into these guys, you know, p- P.J. Dozier, Isaiah Hartenstein, like guys that they always had around but were kind of like 11th, 12th guys are now like guys they're counting on, which is a little weird. So, that said, they should not be 29th in defense. Like there's there's more talent here than that. And I don't think the schedule has been that imposing where you could pin it on pin it on that as a factor. And like the shoot, the opponent's shooting numbers aren't that crazy either. So, I, I, I've, I'm really scratching my head a little bit about now. The last time I saw them, they played against Minnesota, so of course they won. But like, I'm, I'm scratching my head a little bit as as to what is happening there because the the defense, like, they should definitely be better. I don't know, are, are they tired from going so deep in the bubble? Still, and playing all those double overtime, seven-game series and whatnot. Like, did, did they need more recovery time than they had? I mean, I suppose that's a possibility.
0: The best is that, like, everyone makes fun of Nikola Jokic for just looking uh, not like the typical NBA player, maybe we'll say. And he's yeah, just always he's a, the he's guy a, He's in good ready. shape now, though. He, but he's just always the guy that's ready to go, man. Like, he's... Yeah. Every single time, he's the guy that can play 50 minutes a night like it's nothing. Yeah. And uh, I love it so much. Let's do some quick awards before we let you go, John. I've got two quick categories okay. here. Uh And okay. the first one is going to be awards. So who is the team that has
1: surprised you positively the most? I would probably say Cleveland because... They were god-awful on defense last year, and they've been really solid on that end this year. And I think it might be sustainable. I'm a little worried about what happens when Kevin Love comes back, but I, I think it actually might. They're also running out of players at the moment with all their injuries. So that said, like Cleveland, what they're doing defensively is really interesting to me because it doesn't feel that fluky. Who is the team that has surprised you negatively the most? Toronto. I I, I watched them last night. That they looked bad. <laughs> like that that it like offensively, it is a struggle for them. They are getting nothing from the center spot. Their bench is not good right now. They have some issues there.
0: So, like, with Toronto, I can't remember a situation where, like, we talk about institutional just, like, know-how, right? Typically, these teams that have that, like, institutional know-how, where they retain the same coaching staff, retain a lot of the core pieces, at least, they don't just, like, fall off a cliff like this. Like, San Antonio, for instance, it's been gradual as they've lost players, and now they're gradually entering what I think is probably a rebuild for them as they build around some of these young guys I can't remember a situation like Toronto's where it just seems like it's fallen off a cliff a little bit right
1: yeah so it's hard if you're counting on basically a core group of six guys and two of them forget how to play basketball in the offseason season. <laughs> then you're really up the creek a little bit, right? Like uh, Siakam and, and Norman Powell, it's just like the Monstars stole their talent, right? They, they just haven't been able to get it done. Uh, teams have had a lot of success putting smaller defenders on Siakam this year. And he there's a good story about Jonathan Tarks uh, and the ringer on that. Uh, and, and you saw it against Boston last night. And Powell, oh my goodness, I mean, checks in, and the first thing he does is take a contested 18-foot floater um, over... Who, do you, who He was trying to shoot over Tristan Thompson, I want to say. Love it, was, it. Like it. Like, the shot had... No, I'm sorry. It was Time Lord. He was trying to shoot over... Like, the shot had no chance at all. And, you know, it was like early clock. It was it was just like, what, what are we doing here? Like, what's going on? Um, I think they also were counting on more from... Aaron Baines, and he's not giving them anything. Who
0: is, for your money, the best team in the NBA right now? So not necessarily who the best team is going to be, but who is playing the best right now?
1: Who's playing the best right now? I would say Philadelphia has a case. I mean, they've come out really strong. They. It's funny, I watched their first game against Washington. Like They didn't play well, and they just kind of eked it out, but their games since then have been pretty good. I think their lineup is obviously much more coherent. So, I I think Philadelphia, this is a very believable start by them, where if you told me right now, this is going to be a team that finishes in the top three in the East, I'd go, okay. Like Yeah, sure, I'll buy that. Who is the worst team in the NBA right now? Wow. Um... There's are some bad ones at the bottom right now. You know, as much as everyone wants to line up and dunk on the Pistons, I actually think the T-Wolves look god-awful, um, especially with Towns being out. Like, for as long as Carl Towns is out, they are the worst team. I, I think that's clear.
0: I just don't see a world where they defend at any point this year, right? Like, it's just going to be way too difficult for them, I feel like. Well, they they can only move up in the rankings right now. (laughs) Let's put it that way. Um, Let's move and finish on this rookie class, which is exactly where I wanted to finish this. And okay, you mentioned Peyton Pritchard earlier. What's happening with Peyton Pritchard? Because I watched a little bit of like his twenty-plus point game last night and. I loved Peyton Pritchard last year. I think I had him second or third uh, in my Naismith vote. Like, I definitely named him a finalist, and you only get three finalists. So, like, I was an enormous Peyton Pritchard guy last year, and I, I just worried that it wouldn't quite work at the NBA level. Why is it working so
1: far for Peyton Pritchard? So, to me, they're letting him come in and play as a scorer. Uh, which is really helpful to him. Like I, I, I don't really think he's a great passer. I think he misses people sometimes, but he can come in and score, and he can shoot from deep, and he can get by people. And when he's out there, and defenses are worried about Tatum and Brown, I think that gives him more room to be kind of himself. And yeah, so far, so far it's been it's been really good. And he's just like he's doing what he did at Oregon, basically, and he. He actually he's shown more ability to get downhill too with the floor open and get all the way to the rim, which you I mean, he did it sometimes at Oregon, but you didn't necessarily see it a lot. And it's it's been a it's been a really nice start for him.
0: It feels like a problem to me that the King's smartest player is a rookie. And like there is a distinct yeah. drop off in their play whenever Tyrese Halliburton is not on yeah. the court.
1: Yeah, he's you know he's his IQ, his ability to play multiple roles in the offense, uh, the sh- shooting ability, uh, the defensively. He, uh, I mean we we talk a lot about his on-ball defense, which still maybe isn't great, but just his, his length and his ability to be in the right spot, play lanes and stuff. I think has been a positive, and they've missed him <laughs> since he's been out. So I it's it's funny like he he might have a case for for rookie of the year at the end of this we'll see how things go with it like i still think Lamelo ball is going to win but uh he's had a really impressive start to his year
0: before we get to Lamelo, i want to bring up the marvin bagley thing uh it feels like the kings have problems right now uh between De'Aaron fox's dad saying to trade marvin bagley marvin bagley's dad saying to trade marvin bagley uh Feels feels very kingsy. It feels like even in this time where the Knicks look competent, the Cavs have played really well, the Suns look great right now, it feels important that we still can rely on the Kings to provide us with just high comedy off the court.
1: Yeah, it's it's rough, you know, and and it's weird, you know, because there's the whole Bogdanovich thing too, still lingering from this summer. And if you, I don't know if you read that interview with uh, our Sam Amick, but like it's <laughs> that that didn't seem great either <laughs> when he described that process. So a uh, lot, lot of weird things happening over in Sac. Uh, you know, my greatest failing as an executive though was not getting my dad to to tweet out uh, personnel moves
0: yeah i'm gonna create a twitter account for my dad and whenever (laughs) i inevitably leave the athletic i love the athletic i'm not planning on leaving anytime soon please sign me for a decade athletic um whenever i inevitably do end up departing i'm just gonna start with a series of tweets from my father saying trade me trade me to espn (laughs) trade me to uh cbs sports (laughs) i i want to go want to go back um Yeah, LaMelo Ball. LaMelo Ball has caught on a lot quicker than what I thought. Like, I had him at number one. I thought he was clearly the highest upside player. I thought that it would take some time, though. He is quickly figuring out NBA basketball, though, like in a way that I did not anticipate.
1: Yeah, and that's been nice to see. And I think I'll give to both Charlotte and Minnesota for bringing these guys off the bench, despite how highly picked they were, and just letting them... Evolve on their own terms. And I, I think that's much easier than doing what Detroit did, which is you start Killian Hayes right away and then you inevitably hit a point where you have to turn around and bring him off the bench. And it feels like a demotion. Yeah. And I, I, it just it just seems a more organic way to let these guys grow and develop their games yeah the, the killian hayes
0: thing kind of sucks uh he has not been very good so far he does not look ready for the nba and look with killian it's worth mentioning that he was a turnover prone like somewhat mess early in the season last year for ulm uh in germany and he settled down and got better throughout the season and figured some things out in terms of the speed of the game so I wouldn't jump ship with Killian Hayes yet is all I'm saying. Like, do you agree with that? Or are you just
1: like out on what you've seen so far? I, you can't jump all the way out based on seven games when he's 19 years old. Uh, yeah. So I, I am certainly reflecting on where I had him on my board and, and questioning whether I was overly optimistic, but it's, it's way too early to, to jump ship. Yeah, I
0: agree. Is, is there any other rookie that's really stood out for you? Let's just finish with that question.
1: Another rookie who has really stood out for me. I mean, I guess we talked about quickly. I mean, Desmond Bain has been who we thought Desmond Bain was. Yeah, I think no. I'm I'm sorry. I'll give you a guy. The guy who's who has surprised me is. Uh, well, a little bit. He actually he looked better in preseason than he has in the regular season. I was going to say Maladon just because he's a second round pick and he's a sure, you know, still really young. The the fact that he's been able to kind of come in there right away and look look, you know, do it do it do a pretty good impersonation of an NBA point guard so far, uh, and and really been on the ball the whole time. Um, that you know your mate uh, Jayshon Tate has been pretty good. Oh, Jay Sean, not, not only, uh,
0: from the NBL last year, but from Ohio State as well. Just all around, we love Jay Sean Tate here at the Game Theory podcast. So uh, I'm all in on Jay Sean Tate looking good. Yeah. I've had like a few texts from GMs just being like the, uh, uh not GMs, just like NBA executives, just being like, yeah, the Thunder second unit is the tank commander right now or the Thunder <laughs> second unit, like, is driving the tank in Oklahoma City yeah. because their first unit, like they have Shea, they have Dort, uh, George Hill is like totally competent. Baisley is an interesting rookie and Al Horford has been playing. Like that's not a disaster situation there. Uh, yeah. Isaiah Roby has like shown some flashes here and there, but they're playing Theo Maladon and Alexei Pukashevsky, like a combined 35 minutes a night. As teenagers, and that seems uh, suboptimal for winning right now. They're they're playing Josh Hall like
1: semi regularly right now. It's great. Yeah, yeah. He got some. It was more garbage time against. They gave up a huge run against Miami yesterday. Uh, It was like twenty to nothing. I want to say, and you know, you know, they, um, they, they. You're right. They actually have a pretty competent starting five. And weirdly, like Mike Muscala has actually been pretty decent for them off the bench. Love it. Um, but yeah, these Poku minutes have been a screaming disaster. Uh, and then some of these other guys that brought in, they brought in—they, you know—they change the cast a little each game. But I mean, that's that's what the deal is. I mean, they're not going to have any trouble getting enough losses to get a high pick. Let's put it that way. Even if they try to win every game. Are they? They're sending a team to the G
0: League bubble, right? Like I, I feel like that's the best to, play. Like, just send Poku. I have to, the to G assume so.
1: Yeah, I, I, to me, Poku has to go to the G League, and so that's the thing that would make sense. You know, send him there. Maybe send Moses Brown there or Roby, but it's gonna be interesting. It's gonna be interesting to see how many actual NBA players go to that bubble because it's a hard thing to send people down to and extricate them out of. Yeah, you know, it's not like when we're sending people down the road to South Haven, Mississippi, and it's a 20-minute drive and we can have them right back if we need them, so... Well, and, like, in Oklahoma City, like, the blue
0: is, like, right there. Like, it's the easiest thing in the world for them, typically. So, yeah, no, Yeah, it's,
1: exactly, exactly.
0: Yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting for them to figure out how do we go about uh, this season. Like, is it actually good for us just to keep Poku playing these minutes and keep losing and keep getting him experience against NBA players or... Are we just like demoralizing him on some level? Uh, I-, yeah. I would imagine that that won't be the case because from what I gather, he's like a pretty tough kid that like isn't uh, despite being skinny, like he's not someone that's going to like shy away from the opportunity. But we'll have to see how it goes. John, thank you for educating me on what is happening in the nba right now uh you've provided some important context behind some of the takes i've seen on the internet and some of the uh some of the box scores i've seen and just generally like some of the
1: uh games that i've watched so far so john thank you so much this has been fantastic thanks for having me on your show mate and i hope you're enjoying your wednesday morning It is
0: a beautiful Wednesday morning here. It's 10 a.m. I have to go look at a few uh, houses today because we're trying to find somewhere to live because Laura and I are living uh, with Laura's parents at the moment. So we are uh, we're, we're trying to trying to get settled here still john and well, I'll, I'll have to okay i'll have to have you back to talk about some nba prospects because i feel like you have some nba prospect takes that uh y- you want to get off your chest at some point here right
1: yeah I, you know they're still developing they always yeah. are but you know i I, I, th- I think this is a discussion we should have at some point absolutely
0: yeah and i my takes are still developing on this draft because it's kind of a mess right now. So uh yeah. thank you all for listening. This has been the game theory podcast. Please remember rate review, subscribe do everything you can. We'll be back later this week with more on the NBA draft with Matt Penny, but until next time we will talk soon. Bye.